0: You're listening to The Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about cathedral-like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Eddie Tilley. Right, we go. Yay! So yesterday I just got up and I just started making the rounds because there were so many serve day projects going on, and I was just so impressed because, you know, I'm going visiting different ones, and one of them I I knew a lot about, and I was excited about seeing the result of it. It was uh, a lady by the name of Miss Janet who lives in Goose Creek, and unfortunately, she suddenly... Uh, lost her husband in January. It was unforeseen, like he was very healthy, but uh, he got into a car accident, and after the car accident, things just rapidly declined, and she lost him, and she's retired and raising her grandson. And part of the project that needed to happen was she needed some work done to the eaves of her house, but also she has a huge shed in the backyard full of stuff, 20 years of stuff. So she's like, any way y'all can get rid of it? Right like the stuff? Yeah. Well, yeah, the stuff and the shed. Heck yeah. Heck yeah, we could do that. So I knew they were over there doing that. So I roll up in there, I go visit this one, go visit that one, came to the church here, stuff's happening. I get there about 9.30. They started at 8. I roll up at 9.30. There's no cars there. Nobody's there. I'm like, oh my gosh, what? We have let this poor woman down. They weren't there because it was gone. Done. Then I see an interview that they did with her on the phone a little bit later where she said, oh, my gosh, I'm so thankful. There was 20 years of stuff in there, and it was gone in 20 minutes. They emptied the shed, tore the shed down, loaded it onto a trailer. So I called Josh. I'm like, man, where are you? He's like, we had to dump, dump dumping everything out. So I was like, man, that is impressive. So just the the level of all hands on deck was phenomenal. But one of my favorites has to be my man, Bobby Mentor, has a a neighbor that lives across the street from him and the poor fella. He cuts his front yard to keep it, you know, looking good so he doesn't catch too much flack from the city. But he couldn't get to the back because of how overgrown it was. This is the backyard. Take a look at this before picture. This is the backyard. Look at that. Yes, so now when I got there, it didn't look like that. They had already kind of started on it. And so when I got there, um, I took a video of my man Desmond on his commercial mower. Let's roll that video. This is a, look at on his All right, hold up. Wait, pause, pause, pause the video. I know what y'all are thinking. You're like, oh, look, there's Bobby's lawnmower right there. He's helping Desmond. No, no, no. No, they found that right there. In that Amazon jungle, they found two push mowers that riding lawnmower and a wood chipper and three small children that were being raised by a pack of wolves now nah, i'm kidding not that part but they did they found push mowers and a wood chipper and that riding lawnmower. but here's the fun part i want you to watch my man Desmond. roll the video again watch him he just takes this commercial mower up into that bamboo patch he's like man i'm not going to be beat i am going in and he went in all right bye des boom he's gone you know, I mean, it was just, but now, look what it looks like right now. Take a look at this. Look at that. Yeah, You didn't even know he had neighbors. Look at that. He's got neighbors. But this is what, if, if this gets to working, let me know, because this is going to be hard flipping back and forth. I'll do it, but it's a little bit irritating to go back and forth, flipping open my Bible. All right. So this is what it reminded me of and what I want to talk to you about this morning. This comes out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. By the way, hi to everybody that's online. So glad to have you with us this morning. I know some of you guys helped out too because I got some messages from you said, I couldn't make it this morning. I worked so hard. I woke up late, but I'm online. Good to have you with us. Matthew chapter five, verse 14. This is Jesus talking. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And that's what happened yesterday. You guys were shining, doing some brightness going on yesterday, just like this lamp. Don't look at the lamp told you not to look at it. If you did, you're seeing spots. That's what happened to me first service. I just got the spots out of my eyes, so I'm not even going to glance at the lamp. But but this is the thing. This is what it's like. And it says, let your light to shine so that your heavenly Father will be praised. And that was the sense I got. When I would talk to the people um, that were the homeowners, the people who were being helped, they were very, very grateful for all of the helping hands that were in there helping. But you could tell they had a genuine sense that this is a God thing. Like, this isn't just a group of people getting together to be nice. It's not just a group of people trying to do a good deed. This really is a God thing, and that's what it does when you let that light shine like that. Here's what I want to talk about this morning. Letting your light shine, okay, and not putting it under a basket. And we all know that's silly. We all know you wouldn't, you know, light your light and then put a basket over it. But there's two parts to this letting your light shine piece. Part A... Is what we did yesterday, what some people are doing today. It is the doing. When you're doing, it's easy to let that light shine. I mean, the light just shines. And I think that's why we love doing so much because because we don't have a pre qualification for serving. When you want to serve on a project, we don't say, okay, complete this application, come in, let's look at how you've been living your life lately so we can determine whether or not you're worthy to serve on this project. We don't do that. It's just, hey, man, are you breathing? Are you upright? You know, if you're not upright, do you have the capacity to hang on to things or do that? You know, come and be a part of this project. So the doing is an easy onboard for everybody, and we're all aware of just how wonderful that is. But here's what I see a lot working in the church. I see a lot of the same people who are shining so bright and so excited about doing. When the dust settles from the doing, and now we're to the next part, which is the being, B-E-I-N-G, just you and God. This is what I see all the time. And it's not that they're doing this on purpose. This isn't put your light under a basket where you're like, oh, I don't want anybody to know I'm a Christian. It's not that. It is not that. It's like there is something going on in their life and now that it's just them and God, somehow they're they're not aware of what an incredible gift we have in Jesus. And and there's things in their life that diminish the light from shining in their life. And if I could pull this basket apart and and take that little bit of wicker and, and pull each strand out, I would say that there's three main strands wrapped all around that and around people that causes their light to be diminished. And those three would be guilt and shame and rejection. And I see so many Christians, I'm talking Christians now, I'm talking about people that have Christ in their heart that struggle with that. And so I felt like the Lord was just sort of laid on my heart this morning, man, how can we help people get to where your light shines just as bright when it is just you and God? And it's not about what you're doing, it's about who you are and about who He is. So how can we present a message in such a way that your light is always shining? Because that's the way God wants your life to be. I just looked at the light. Now I'm seeing spots. Now I'm going to be reading my notes and I'm going to have to move my head because of the spots. So that's what we're talking about this morning. Letting your light shine. Like, man, Eddie, letting your light shine and you're talking about guilt and, and shame and rejection. That doesn't sound very shiny. Well, I know, but hey, don't worry. It's a summer message. So we're going to keep it light. Get it? Keep it it light, light, let your, okay. All right, so thank you. So here's what we have. We have a handout for you. Now let me just go ahead and tell you, I am not a handout person. I'm not a handout kind of guy, you know, but there are a lot of people that are. My wife is a handout person. She loves her some blanks to fill in. So she is jacked up excited. But let me tell you why I did this and why really I felt led to do this. Because we're going to deal with these things. We're going to walk right down these three areas, and we're going to deal with them. But what I know is we're not, it's not going to be a one and done. We're going to deal a blow to it. I'm hopefully going to give you some truth that is going to help you tremendously, and that truth is going to come from the Word of God, and then the Word of God is going to do its work. Let me give you this analogy. Let's talk about my yard for a minute. Let me show you this picture of my yard last week after I got to Look at that. Woo, Baby. Uh, every yard aficionado is feeling my joy right now. Look at that edge right there. But ain't no junk in that edge. It's nice and clean. Look at the height of that grass, y'all. I got my mower on the highest setting. It'll go on. That's why I love when the neighbors come by. and They look at my grass when the mower's in the grass. They're like, man, he's cutting it low. Then I pop out on the driveway, and the mower's that high off the ground. I'm like, that's right. You can't see my feet because they're disappearing in that plush grass I got right there. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I got weeds in my yard. You know, I don't care how good a job you do, you're always going to have weeds. I prefer the old-fashioned method of getting rid of my weeds by just pulling them out by hand. I just find that's just the easiest way to do it instead of going through all the chemicals and this, that, and the other. But here's what I don't do. I don't ever go out into my bone-dry yard and pull weeds. Why? Because you're not going to get them. You're going to grab the weed, you're going to pull it, and it's going to do what? It's going to pop right there at the surface. And then the roots are going to do what? Go a little deeper. Get a little wider. Grab a little extra dirt. And then that weed's coming right back up. Stronger, deeper, and harder for you to get out. So what I do is I wait till after a week like last week where we get 18 inches of rain in four hours. (laughs) Or maybe I water the lawn and I water it in real good. Now I go out there and grab that weed and it comes right out. Roots and all, effortless. Just shoot, boom, comes right out. That's what I'm believing is going to happen this morning, that as we progress down through these different areas, which really are related, they really are tied together, that as we go through God's Word, looking at this, that the rain, if you will, of God's Word on our hearts will soften our hearts because as we progress to each one and it gets harder and we go a little bit deeper, I'm praying that by the end we'll be able to pull that thing out with no problem. But the reason I have this for you is because I want you to take this home and use it as a template because this is something that we all need to do. Even, even when I pull the weeds up by the roots, how many of y'all know there's still weeds that come up? How many of y'all know then daggone birds go eat something and then they strategically fly over your yard and uh, release, if you will, the seeds that they ate all up in your yard and then boom, weeds grow up again. Or your neighbor's dog comes and they you know, do their thing and who knows what's in their dog food, but the stuff grows weeds. I'm telling you, I've seen it. It really happens. That's a true life story. So that is for you to take home and to use as a template. But we're going to go through it and fill in all these blanks together. So let's start, going back to our weed analogy, let's start with like the leaves on the weed. You know the leaves on the weed, you can just sort of pick those off and they're real easy. You know, you can get a hold of them and just boom, they just pull right off. They're kind of, they're kind of tender, you know, they're kind of easy to take off. But they, kind of, they make the biggest show, right? They kind of shine out. Then they're at the top. So we're kind of dealing with a surface level here, and this would be guilt. So we're going to talk about, going to your handout there, dealing with guilt. And in order to deal with guilt, we all have to get on the same page. And so this is what I want to do to get us on the same page. I want to say to you that we have all committed this sin. That next blank. We have all committed this sin. You say, Eddie, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. Well, I want to read a passage of scripture for you that comes out of Isaiah chapter 53 that says this. How many of us? Y'all see that? All, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. So what God is saying is that every single person, bar none, I don't care who you are, every single person, at some point in our life, we have turned away from allowing God to lead us and guide us in his ways, the way he designed for us to live our life. And we said, no, thank you very much. I'll do what I want based on what I think and what I feel, thank you. And God's saying, hey, everybody's guilty of that. Every single person. He doesn't say everybody has committed murder. It doesn't say everybody has committed adultery. But it does say we have all been guilty of not following God's ways and following our own ways. However, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. You might be familiar with a passage of Scripture in John one twenty nine, where John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now here's what's cool about this. That passage Isaiah that I'm reading you, he wrote that. Isaiah wrote this about 700 years before Christ was ever born. So Isaiah, a prophet in the Old Testament, through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, is looking to a day in the future when the Messiah is going to come and God is showing him this is what's going to happen. That's important to understand. So the big question for us is, so if that's true, if God laid on Jesus the sins of us all, how do I get that into my life? Like, how do I get released from all my sins? And that's the next blank. And the fact is that we all have a choice. We all have a choice. Proverbs 28, 13 says this. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive what? Mercy. It's so simple. It's so simple. All we're talking about so far is just admitting. Admitting that God hasn't been first place in your life. That you've just been doing your own thing your own way. And confessing that and confessing it out loud. And God says when you do that, you will receive mercy. So if we put those together, the fact that you're going to admit to that, and then the fact that you're going to confess it to God and say, God, that's so true. I I have been guilty of doing that myself. That is when the greatest miracle in the history of the world happens. And we are saved. We are saved. I want you to listen to Isaiah Seven Over 700 years before Christ was even born. I want you to listen to that man in the Old Testament describe salvation. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. There's an exclamation point there. When y'all read in your Bible and there's an exclamation, put a little exclaim on it. Don't read it all soft and quiet. Get up in there where Isaiah is at. It says, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation, and draped me in a robe of righteousness. Now, I want you to catch that. He has dressed me in the clothes of salvation. Now, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you're aware of verses that say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Everything is made new. You're familiar with the verses that say that you are no longer the old man. You are a new man, a new person, a new creation. But this is what I think happens with a lot of Christians. I think a lot of times we get that and we're aware of that, especially when it first happens. But I think what we think happens is that we get our new clothes, our new salvation and all that, and then we get out there and life starts happening, and then all of a sudden we feel like we've gotten our new clothes dirty. And we feel like, oh, yeah, I did have these new clothes of salvation, but gosh, you know, this happened and that happened. I made a wrong choice, a wrong decision. I did something bad, and now we feel like it's dirty. But you, you missed a second part where he said he drapes you in a robe of righteousness, and that's not your righteousness. You know why? Because you ain't got none. We ain't got none. We're bringing zero to the table. God says, not only am I making you brand new, and putting them shiny God's best on you, I am now going to robe you, wrap around you the robe of my son's righteousness. Nothing can touch that. Nothing. That's salvation. That's the most incredible miracle that's ever happened on the face of the planet. That's the light shining on the inside of you, and that's why the bottom of your, uh, or not the bottom, the bottom of that section, we fill in that God's salvation is a perfect work perfect. And I can't add anything to it. And let me just warn you about that because you know what religion does? Religion adds. Religion says, well, yeah, you were saved, but then you've done this, that, and the other. Religion says, well, you were good, but then you've done this, that. See, religion likes to keep a tally of your good and your bad. I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to lose that one right now. God set this thing up to where all you can do when you mess up is just fall into his hands. Because you can't be good enough, you can't do good enough. You just have to say, God, I'm sorry. He's like, not a problem. I got, you. I got you dressed in new clothes and robed with my son's righteousness. This is not a problem. Get up. Let's move forward. Let's move on. That's why Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because when we rest in the perfect work that he has done, there's no more striving. There's no more trying to be better, trying to do better. We now allow this word to do the work in us that God has called it to do. And he does want to do a work in us. So that's dealing with our guilt. So everybody on the, on the same page. So you know where we're at. We're at the cross, right? Because Jesus took, when, when the word says that God laid on him the sins of us, of, of, of us all, that was on that cross. So what we're really talking about today is the perfect work of the cross that you can't add anything to or take anything from. So now let's move into number two. So now this is the stem of the weed. So you know you got your leaves of the weed. They're nice and tender and all, but when you get a hold of that stem, that stem's got a little bit more substance to it. It's a little bit, it's a little bit harder. I mean, you can see that right there It's as thick you know, and it just kind of, when you get a hold of it, you're aware you've got something. You can feel it. It's very hard. It's very woody. It's not, it's not just going to pull right off. So shame, and there's a lot of different sources for shame, but some of the biggest ones are sexual abuse uh, and bullying. And you know, unfortunately, we're not getting any better in either of those two categories. There's not less and less sexual abuse. There's not less and less bullying, especially bullying. I mean, it used to be with bullying, all you had to worry about was your children in school, and and children can be merciless. Our Serve Day project, uh, we were helping out this this grandmother who lives uh, down off of America Street, downtown Charleston, so those of you familiar with that area know where she lives. And um, she just, all of a sudden, she's got a daughter who has just gone south on drugs and came and brought her five children said, here you go, and left her. And so we jumped in there, our small group, our Taco Tuesday group, which rocks. We jumped in there just because, you know, she's going to be okay, but she's in this gap where she doesn't have anything right now. She's going to have things, but she's in this gap in the middle. Well, one of the teenage boys, is just, he's just a big boy. He's a big boy, a little bit overweight, he's just big. She said he won't even go outside because the kids tease him so bad. Now, it used to be that's all we had to worry about, but it's not the case anymore. Now, bullying is our culture. Like, you can't even have a rational difference of opinion debate with anybody because now if you disagree with somebody, the bullying is coming full force like a fire hose on both sides of the aisle. That's where we're at. But I think this is the biggest thing that that breaks my heart about the sexual abuse side is you know, prepping for this message and just, and just kind of looking into that. There's so many interviews out there where somebody comes out later in life and says, you know, this family member abused me or that family member abused me. And the question that's always asked to them is, well, why didn't you tell somebody? What, was there nobody in your family you felt like that you could trust to go to? And it wasn't that. It wasn't that they didn't think there was somebody that they could trust. It was this. A lot of them reported having the thought is there something wrong with me that caused them to do that to me? That's shame. That is shame, and and that is a level that, that, that God just doesn't want us to carry. And so let's talk about dealing with shame, because Jesus dealt with all of this. And the first thing that we need to understand in dealing with the shame, number one, is that Jesus willingly bore our shame willingly. We read in Isaiah chapter 50, he says, I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. So Jesus willingly submitted himself to the abuse and he did that for us. Now let's read, remember, that's Isaiah. Isaiah is giving us a picture of something that's not gonna happen for another seven or 800 years. Now let's read about exactly what he was talking about. Matthew chapter 27, this is when Jesus was arrested. This is the night before he's to be crucified and he has been arrested. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. Stop right there. This is one of those passages we just have to stop and go slow because I want you to get that. They send a group of soldiers, we don't know how many, 8, 10, 12 soldiers to go and arrest Jesus. They bring him back to the palace, to Pilate's palace. Now before they start doing anything and they're about to do some cruel stuff, they're not content with it just to be them. They said, hey, go get all the guys, go get all the fellas, round up everybody, the entire regiment. Get them, let's pack them in here, pack them in here. So Jesus is standing in the middle of the floor and every soldier in that regiment is standing all around him. And it says they stripped him, stop. Because when we read that, when we read they stripped him, we get the picture that we've seen in the movies, we get the picture that we've seen on television, and it's not accurate. You're never gonna see an accurate portrayal of that moment because we always have to leave the loincloth. There was no loincloth. When it says they stripped him, they stripped him in front of everyone for everyone to see. That's what they did. That is the truth. And they put a scarlet robe on him, and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head, and they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And then they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. And when they were finally tired of mocking him, stop. I think we read that and we think, oh my gosh, they they mashed that crown of thorns and then they pulled out some hair and they hit him with the stick. No, it says they did all of that until they got tired of it. It wasn't this quick little thing that happened. Jesus is standing there in the middle of the floor surrounded by these people making fun of him, mocking him. How many times did they hit him on the head with his stick? I don't know. How much hair did they pull out of his beard? I don't know. I know that by the end of this, or, this whole ordeal, the Bible says he wasn't even recognizable as a man. That I know. But I can't tell you exactly how long he endured all this. I can, all I can tell you is that when they finally got tired of mocking him, they took off the robe. He's naked again. And then he put his own clothes on him. And then they took him to the cross, verse 35, and the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. So again, he's hanging naked on the cross. The most Probably the most accurate depiction of the crucifixion you're ever going to see is in the passion of the Christ. But even it cannot go as far without having to go to an X rating because they're not going to show you those parts that none of us ever want to expose for the whole world to see. But that's what happened to him. And we need to realize that. And what we need to realize is his motivation for doing it because it's for us. He's doing all of this for you and for me. And what you need to know is how you're feeling right now, the disgust that you're very aware of right now and and how somebody could do that to another person. Jesus felt the exact same thing in that moment. He despised the shame. Jesus despises shame. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 12. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame. The shame. And now is sat down at the right hand of the Father. So he despised it. He despised the cruelty. He despised how anybody could do that to another human being. He absolutely despised it. But he fully understood that they were incapable of doing anything else. Because of the absence of the love of God that was in their heart. So... In the guilt part, we see that guilt, that Jesus takes away our guilt and he gives us our righteousness. And now here, he takes away our shame and he gives us the opposite of shame, which we read about in Hebrews chapter 2. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into what? Glory. 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 Perfection. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So Jesus took my shame and gave me his glory. So, so far, Jesus has taken your sin and he's given you his righteousness. And he's taken your shame and he's given you his glory. None of that based on anything that you've done. It is simply there. The offer is on the table for you to simply say yes to his righteousness, and to his glory. All right. Now the moment you've all been waiting for. Yeah, I just wanted to say it like that. All right. So now, hopefully the word of God is kind of working, is kind of doing what it does. The word of God is alive and living, and when we hear it, it does something in us, and hopefully it's softening up that ground so that we can get this daggone weed by the root. So that's what we're doing now. We're going to go in there going to get a hold of that reed. The ground's nice and soft. It's been, it's been raining. Oh, there's a little acorn top right there. I got so many squirrels in my yard. Now look at, so I'm getting it. I'm getting, got to go in a little bit harder right there yet. Yeah, and then it, the whole thing just comes out. Roots and all. And that's what we want to have happen. And this is the big one. If I were to take this back to what is the root, I would say it's rejection. So we're going to deal with rejection. And rejection is the deepest wound that the human spirit can experience. A lot of this message today was inspired by uh, Derek Prince. I've just been watching a lot of Derek Prince's messages. And if you're not familiar with him, uh, Derek Prince was a, you could call him a pastor, I would call him an evangelist. Um, He died in 2008, but... His heyday was back during the time of the charismatic movement, but not in America. He was British. He was born in India. Um, He served in the British Army. Um, But he's just got an incredible salvation experience. He was saved outside of the church. Um, he was, had a miraculous healing outside of the church. He just had a real heart for helping people understand the cross. So he wasn't always in America, but he did come and speak in America, and he made this observation. Talking about this wound of rejection, he said, I am so aware. He said, when I go to America, he said, it is staggering to me how there is such a greater percentage of the Christian population that struggle with rejection more so than anywhere else that he preaches, more so than Africa, Asia, Europe. It's rejection. It's in America. And then he said this. He said, I can only draw one natural conclusion from that based on the evidence. Because America, back then, as now, pretty much led the way in the deconstruction of the nuclear family. He said the obliteration of the family, the loss of the nuclear family that God has created has created so much rejection in the church in America. He said that almost 30 to 40 percent on a conservative side that he had encountered dealt with some kind of rejection. And that doesn't necessarily have to mean that somebody tells you they reject you. It's something that you pick up and you feel. It begins in the womb. You know, we're created in the image of God, and God creates us to desire love and to want to be loved. We want that. That little fella right there is crying out because, like, I need somebody to love me. <laughs> but here's what a baby can't do if a baby's crying because it's hungry and you give it a bottle, it doesn't go, Oh, you know what? That person gave me a bottle. They are supplying my needs. Therefore, they must love me. No. All it knows is you stuck a bottle in its mouth and now it can eat. That's all it knows. What communicates the love to a child? is when you hold it up to your face. When you look into their eyes, when you say those silly little things that you say to them, when you hold them, when you rock them, when you embrace them, that's what communicates love. We've all heard the horror stories of nurseries over in some of those other countries where they don't even hardly touch the babies and how they try desperately to comfort themselves by rocking themselves in a crib. We're designed for it. The ultimate rejection can happen in a womb. A baby can be rejected in the womb. And our senior pastor did a message on that two weeks ago. And if you weren't here, I highly encourage you to go see it, but the or go watch it. But the biggest thing about love is it has to be expressed, and provision is not an expression. I was provided for. In my home, I never had a day where there was no food on the table. I always had a roof over my head. I was always taken care of. I was provided for. But I am not exaggerating when I tell you there was no outward expression of love. None. And that's not the fault my parents. They weren't capable of it. The wounds of rejection that they had from their childhood had rendered them completely helpless to give anything like that to me. There was nothing there for them to give. They didn't have it. We weren't a church family. They didn't go to church. We weren't in church. So I'm lost. They're lost. They have no way of expressing love. And what happens is when love is not expressed, it it produces people who are stunted in their growth and emotionally immature. And I'm telling you that from experience. Because as a young man, I was a very hard worker. I had great work ethic. And I was pretty daggum smart. But emotionally, I was so immature. And so I want to kind of tell you a story from my childhood that I feel like illustrates so well what happens when that thing carries itself out all the way to the end. My 16th birthday. And... Um, we're having a big party, and that's back in the days when, you know, you did stuff with your neighbors. So we've got five neighbors around us, and we've all set up tables out in the front yard. And it's just covered with the pretty uh, happy birthday tablecloth, and the little place settings are all out there, and the birthday cake's out there. And I forgot about this part till my wife um, reminded me in between services that um, everybody was wanting to get started. There's a reason they wanted to get started, because my dad wasn't there yet. And I said to them, I said, nope, we're not going to start till my dad gets here. And it was, it was a weekday, so we we're waiting for him to get off work. So he got off work, and 15 minutes later, he's not there. 30 minutes later, he's not there. 45 minutes later, he's not there. Hour, he's not there. And everybody knows where he's at, including me, because he's got a routine. The routine is he gets off work. He stops at the bar right outside the gate, drinks for an hour, hour and a half, comes home, keeps drinking until he passes out, gets up, goes to work. So now we're at the point where everybody's looking at me and they're they're whispering, which is extremely embarrassing for a 16-year-old boy. And they don't know that I can see that they're looking at me, but I'm very much aware. So finally, I get to the point where I say, you know what, I'll be right back. And I get in my car and I drive to that bar and there's his truck. I know right where he's at. And I walk through that door and I'm calm at first. I try to be civil. I walk through that door and I say to him, are you coming to the birthday party? He's sitting at a poker machine, stack of quarters on this corner, beer on this corner. And I say, are you coming to the party? And he doesn't even look at me. He doesn't answer me. He doesn't acknowledge me. And I go in to the biggest 16-year-old hissy fit temper tantrum you have ever seen in your life. I mean, I am cussing a blue blade. I slap them quarters all over the bar. The whole bar is still in quiet. It is all eyes on us. And I am blasting him with everything that I have. And I'm going to hurt you just like you're hurting me. See how it feels. And I'm giving it everything I've got. That's the two extremes. My dad never, ever looked at me and never said a word to me that day. He just stared straight ahead. That's his extreme. And I'm over here, and I am 1,000% out of control. That's the other extreme. And I'm telling you that, not for you to be angry at my dad. Don't be angry at him. He couldn't help it. And don't be angry at me. I'm a stupid, immature little 16-year-old boy. I don't have God. He don't have God. That's why when y'all hear me crying when I'm up here on the stage, let me tell you why I cry. Because I never had love in my heart until 25 years old. I asked Christ to come into my heart. And for the first time, not only did I feel love, but I had love to give. I did not have that. So when you see me up here and I get emotional, one of two things is going on. Either I'm tapping into how much God loves me or I'm tapping into how bad I want you to get it. Because I've been sitting in your shoes. If you're in here and you feel like giving up, if you're in here and you feel like there's no hope, if you're in here and you feel like nobody loves you, I'm telling you that is not true. God loves you and has given everything for you. Oh, man, pizza pie, come on. But here's the cool thing about that story. We're talking about letting your light shine. And when I got saved, it was a Dr. Seuss Grinch in the snow moment. I mean, I was. All of a sudden, I was aware that, man, I love people. And I can remember thinking, what is the deal? Because that's never happened. I didn't know what that was like. And now I've got all this love in me. And now I get to go back into my home with my mom and dad, both of whom are extremely shut down from their own personal wounds of rejection, and just let my light obnoxiously shine. I mean obnoxious, and just love them. That's the answer is love them. I don't. I don't need you to give me an excuse. I don't. I don't need. I don't. Honestly, I don't even need you to say you're sorry. I get it now. I get it now. It's not you. It's not your fault. I was the same way. You produced another one of you and me, and I was the same way, incapable of loving, incapable of connecting. But now I got Christ in me, and I've got both. And here's the beautiful end of the story. My dad's got lung cancer, and by this time, we've made amends, and and I've just been loving him, loving him, loving him. But my dad would not surrender his life to Christ. And he's dying of lung cancer, and he's on hospice. And uh, one of my dear friends, Leah Profader, would come over uh, once a week, and she would sit with him just to talk to him, give him somebody else to chat with. And so one day she said, Mr. Tilly, what is it that you love to do? And he looks out his window, and I'm out there doing something in the yard, and he says this, watch him. I love to watch him. And I know what that meant. He was seeing something in me that he had always wanted for me and did not know how to give me. And that love and that that just being an an obnoxious light full of love and life Finally had its way, in 24 hours before he breathed his last breath, he surrendered his life to Christ. Amen. <laughs> uh. Whew. Okay. All right, where are we at? All right, here we go. Now we're going to deal with rejection, all right? So we're going back to the cross because, again, this whole idea of that God's salvation is perfect and I can't add anything to it, everything we're talking about is handled at the cross. Your guilt handled at the cross. Your shame handled at the cross. And now we got to look and see, so what does Jesus do with rejection? How does he identify with us in being rejected by those he loves? And we find that beginning again with Pilate. So now it's the morning of the crucifixion. The crowds have gathered and Pilate now is talking to the crowds in Luke chapter 23. He says, Then Pilate called together the leading priests and other religious leaders along with the people and he announced his verdict. You brought this man to me accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and find him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty so I will just have him flogged and then I will release him and then a mighty roar rose from the crowd and with one voice they shouted kill him and release Barabbas to us so Jesus is rejected one time by his own people Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A second time, Pilate is pleading on behalf of Jesus. This man has done nothing wrong. For the third time, Pilate demanded, why? What crime has he committed? I have found no reason to sentence him to death, so I'll have him flogged and then I'll release him. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So he's rejected three times by his own people, the very people he came to save, his own family, if you will. Three times has said, Take him away, we don't want to have anything to do with him. Matter of fact, take him away and kill him. And then we go to the cross. And in Matthew chapter 27, we read this At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. I want you to get this picture. It's noon. It is the middle of the day, and darkness covers the whole land until 3 o'clock, 3 hours. There is some kind of supernatural presence that comes that is so thick that it blocks out the very light of the sun. Now, here's my personal take on that. What we saw happen naturally just a few verses ago when those soldiers brought Jesus into Pilate's palace and said, hey, go get all the other guys. Fellas, fellas, y'all come on here. Watch this. Come on, watch what we're gonna do today. Boy, we're gonna have so much fun with this guy. Y'all get gather around. Watch this. The same thing has happened supernaturally right now. Satan has got the son of God on the cross and he calls to every foul and wicked and evil demon and spirit and says, gather around. Come watch what I'm about to do. Come watch me kill the son of the living God. Watch my victory happen. And that darkness covered the land for three hours. And Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lama lama, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? God. Jesus is crying out, God, why Why have you abandoned me? Why have you rejected me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour whining, holding it up to him on a reed stick so that he could drink. But the rest said, hey, wait, wait, hang on. Let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. And then Jesus shouted out again, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he released his spirit. Now, question. What killed Jesus? See, it's not the physical trauma. Because Jesus was a man's man, a man among men. And most men would be alive 12 hours later after a crucifixion. This is three. As a matter of fact, most men would have to be killed while they were still on the cross before they took them down. Three hours, Jesus gives up his spirit. What killed him? One word, take one guess. Rejection. Jesus was killed by rejection. The rejection of his heavenly father. And I know that's hard to wrap your mind around, but here's what you got to remember. The only way that God could give you and I this free gift of grace and salvation is he had to treat Jesus on that cross the same way that he would have to treat you or I. There was no other option. He had to. He's a holy God. He is a just God. And so the only way for you and I to get the gift that we have is he had to do to Jesus what he would have to do to us. And if our sin was before God, he would have to turn his back on us the same way he did to Jesus. But why did he do it? The very next verse, at that moment... The curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was the only thing that separated the presence of God from the priest that would go into the temple. And God wanted to send a very, very clear message that from this point forward, never ever again can anything, guilt, shame, rejection, sin, anything, stand between me and my people. So nothing, nothing can stand between you and the presence of God. Nothing. That's where you and I are living. Don't let religion rob you of that. That is the truth. You don't have to work harder. You don't have to be smarter. You just have to say yes to what God is offering you. Salvation. Salvation. And you know, you say, well, gosh, it it seems so easy. No, it's not easy. Are, Are you paying attention to what we just went through? Nothing about it was easy, but God knew you and I couldn't handle that. You and I couldn't do it, and He said, I am going to allow my son to do that for them. They got themselves in this mess. It's their fault, but they cannot get themselves out. And I'm going to let my son do it. So, last thing, well, no, not last thing, I got two more. The beautiful gift. That blank before gift is the beautiful gift. I love this. It's in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. I love this because this isn't a reactionary God. It's a God that saw everything was going to happen. And it says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Holy and without fault. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through who? Through who? Jesus Christ, this is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. So because of all that, the last phrase on your handout, when I trust In the finished work of Jesus, his life in me becomes a light that shines for all to see. It's this picture of a lighthouse. This is what you and I are called to be in this world. That is such a great picture right there because this world is going to do nothing but get darker and darker. I got news for you. The world ain't going to get any better. If there was a forecast for the world, the chance of rain would increase every single day. The wind gusts would go up every single day. The chances for an earthquake would increase. The chances for a hurricane would increase. The world is going to continue to get darker and darker and darker and more and more chaotic. It's not getting any better. Even if we have revival, which I'm believing we're going to, it's not going to change the atmosphere of this world. But when you and I get a hold of this, we become that. That world can beat on you. It can hit you. It can bl- You're going to stand right there. And not only are you going to stand right there, you're going to say, man, it's stormy out there. Come on in here where I'm at. This is awesome. You need to get in here where I'm at. Man, it's warm. It's cozy. The presence of God is amazing. Get out of those crazy waves. Get out of that up and down life that tosses you all around. Man, come get on this rock that I'm standing on. And let the waves do what they do. Let the world do what it does. Because none of that can faze you and none of that can shake you. But it all comes down to do we trust Jesus? Do we trust what God's word says about what happened on that cross? So this is what I want to do. I want to have a moment of prayer that I want to lead everybody through. But I want to get some people on board before we do. Because we're all going to go through this. um, Those that, that want to go through it. But there's different groups of people. Number one is if you're in here or if you're online and you have never taken the very first step. Which is to admit to God that he hasn't been first place in your life and ask him to come into your life. It's just as simple as that. When you do that, according to his word, he does come into your life and he does make you a brand new person. And he does put the righteousness of Christ around you. He wraps it around you. That is the easiest thing you'll ever do in the world is just saying yes to God. It's not about you working. It's not about you earning it. It's not about you being better, doing better. Matter of fact, if you're in here and right now you're thinking, What I know my dad used to think, I know my dad used to, because, you know, my dad was an alcoholic and there was so much happening in his life. And I just know him. I know his personality. And he even voiced it to me one time. He said, Eddie, I know what you're asking me to do, but I've I've just got to get my life cleaned up a little bit before I can do it. And I I said to him, I said, Dad, that's backwards. Because you can't. You can't clean your life up. You can't get yourself in a little bit better shape to be able to. You can't do it. It's not going to work. You've got to have God in your life to have that change happen. And he wants to do it. He wants you to be better. He wants you not to be dependent on the alcohol or the drugs or the pornography or whatever it is. He wants you free of that. But you've got to let him in. So if you're in here and you've never taken that step and you want to do that, I'm going to ask you to get on board with this prayer. And I'm going to tell you how in just a minute. But just let that register. If you're in here and you want to have God come into your life to help you, that's group number one. Group number two are those of you that do struggle with the guilt. That if you were to be honest, you know what, Eddie, I am. I am like that. I'm very fully aware that God has saved me. I'm very fully aware that I'm a new person. But I do struggle. Anytime I say something or do something, I just just walk around with this little cloud of guilt over my head. That is not God's desire for you. His desire is that when that thing happens, whatever it is, that you immediately say, oh, gosh, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. And it's done. His word says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whether you have to do it once, twice, three times, a thousand, doesn't matter. But if you struggle with guilt, if you're just one of those people that you're just, your light doesn't shine because you just always have this sense that you're guilty of something and you might not even know what, that's group number two. Group number three is the shame. And a lot of times what the shame looks like is you feel like you don't deserve to feel that way. You feel like because of the way you've lived your life or, or whatever messages that, that you believed growing up, that you deserve exactly the lot in life that you have. It's a mindset that says, I don't deserve to have it. Oh, Eddie, no, no, I, no, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm not worthy to have God love me like this. You don't have a choice. He already does. And you can't change that. But there is a spirit of shame, just like there is a spirit of guilt, and it is a supernatural spirit, and it wants to control you, and it wants to keep your light under that basket. But the power of the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ can break it, and that brings me to the last group, and that is the rejection. If you suffer with a sense of rejection, it's, I've even seen people who were adopted as babies and, and didn't even know they were adopted until they were young adults but, but talked about how they just always felt like something was missing even before they knew that they were adopted, like they could just had a sense that something was wrong. And that is that rejection. Like they couldn't even fully receive the love of their adopted parents because something was blocking it. That is that spirit of rejection. So this is what I'm going to do. It's a bold move, I know. But I'm just going to go ahead and tell you and be completely honest with you. If I were sitting out there right now sitting down and this offer was made to me, I would stand up in the same way I'm going to ask you. And that is that if you need to have God come into your life, if you struggle with guilt or shame or rejection, I'm just going to ask you right now just to stand to your feet. If any of those ring true with you, just stand to your feet right where you are. Oh, look at y'all have been so good. My little wire's been dangling that whole time. And y'all have been so good not to get distracted by that. I, you know, to tell the truth, I thought somebody was throwing a little spitballs at me. I was like, what keeps hitting my foot down there? I said, Destiny's up here in the front row, and she hit me with a little spitball. All right, I wanted to break that ice a little bit there, and here's why. I know there's probably some of you just like me. That initial ask, you you want to, and then you're like, oh, gosh, what are people going to think? And you, and you stayed sitting down, and now you're like, oh, I wish I'd have stood up. Damn it. I wanted to stand up, but why didn't I stand up? If that's you, and you need to stand up, I'm going to count to three so that you can do it with a bunch of other people that wanted to and didn't do it, and you're not all by yourself. And if that's you, on a count of three, I want you to stand up. One two, three. If you need to stand, stand. Awesome. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. All right. Everybody bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to go through this prayer. For those of you that are making today the day that you choose to follow God, He's going to come into your life. He's going to make you a brand new person, and you are going to be saved from now on. You don't have to do anything else to add to it. He has done it all for you on the cross. But we're going to all pray this prayer together And we're going to deal with every single one of these areas So just repeat this after me Father God I believe in Jesus That he is your son And that he died on the cross For my sins Because he died He gave me His righteousness So I give you my sin And I receive your righteousness Righteousness I refuse to feel guilty about what you've done for me. I receive your gift of salvation. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be my Savior. Because I know now you are in my heart that the spirit of shame has no authority over me. The blood of Jesus Christ destroyed shame. Jesus despised shame. I despise shame. And shame, you have no place in my life. And now rejection. I am loved by God. I am a child of God. I am a son of the Most High. I am forever saved. I can't get any more loved. I can't get any more wanted than I am right now in this moment. So spirit of rejection, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus and I command you to leave in Jesus' name. Father, right now, I pray for every person that prayed that prayer. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you are working in this room right now and you are filling every heart with a sense of your love, with a sense of your desire to love us and to be there for us and to cause our light to shine. And For every one of us in this room, we do, Lord, we want your light to shine even brighter in us. We want to be that lighthouse in the storm, Lord. We want that light to shine in us when we're out doing something, but even when we're just being. Lord, we want that in our life, and so we receive your grace in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. 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 Yeah, give the Lord a hand. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. All right, so everybody can be seated because we're going to let it rain just a little bit more. Because here's what I'm believing. I I just really felt like the Lord was just going to deliver a lot of people. I feel like a lot of people gave their heart to Christ. I feel like a lot of people got delivered from some things. But sometimes you just, again, need to sit and let the truth of the Word of God reign on you. And the worship team has a beautiful song. It's an old hymn that just declares the truth of how sweet it is. How sweet it is when you just trust in Jesus. So just sit And let these guys rain on you for a moment. That's just beautiful, yes. I love when that gal gets to use that violin and do what she does. Man, I just had a whole moment back there without y'all. It was so cool. I just started laughing because I was thinking, the devil's just such a punk, man. I love when he's like, I'm going to shut his mic off. And then if that don't work, he said, oh, yeah, I'm going to pop it out and let that thing dangle around down there. And phased me a lick. So don't go out of here feeling sorry for Eddie because the microphone was dragging the floor. It ain't bothered me a lick because I'm going to tell you something. Eddie Tilly ain't got a thing to offer you. I don't. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. I'll tell you what I do. Got, I got Jesus. And Jesus has got everything that you need. Everything. All right. One last thing. One last thing. Pull out your cell phones. Oh, yeah. Cell phones in church. And then, oh, oh, emergency call. No, oh, no, cancel, cancel. Turn on your flashlight. All right, point it at me. Hold it right here on your chest. Point it at me right there. There you go. Look at that. do not that look so cool? Isn't that awesome? I wish y'all could get our, our visual up here. It's just, such a, it's just such a cool visual. But here's the part that I want you to understand is that light that is in you, that is the life of Jesus. And nothing could put that out. And this world is just going to keep getting darker. It's not going to get any better. So, I don't want to bust anybody's bubble, but I'm just going to tell you the news ain't going to get any better. The world ain't going to get any better. People aren't going to su- all of a sudden get common sense or become sane. It's not going to happen. The world is going to do what the world does. It is on a trajectory for destruction and has been from the fall. You and I just happen to live at the most incredible time of history to be alive because you and I have the opportunity to do this. This world's darker now than it's ever been. And I want you to look around the room and look at the lights. This is what Jesus does in us. This is the greatest miracle of all, is that the darker it gets, the more the enemy does to make it darker and harder and more chaotic, God makes that light shine even brighter. So this is what I want to do. I want to bless you with the ability to be obnoxiously bright. What does that mean? That means you go into your workplace and you just be a shining light. I mean, you go in there and you got that boss, you know the one I'm talking about? And you just remember what Jesus said. He said, hey, work as unto me, so treat your boss like he's me. I bless you with going in and not having that. Well, that's all they paid me to do. That's all I'm going to do. No, no, no. You go in there and do some extra. You go in there and show them what a light looks like. That Hey, man, me and me serving you has everything to do with how thankful I am for God saving me. It's not about my paycheck, and it's not about my job description. I just just see this needed to be done, so I just wanted to help you out. I bless you to go back into your family. Maybe some of y'all in here, y'all got a spouse that ain't got that light ain't been turned on yet. I bless you with the ability to love them right where they're at. I bless you with the ability to realize that's not who they are. I bless you with the ability to see who God created them to be. And and you need to pray that. You need to say, God, show me who you created to be. And you need to pray it. And you need to speak it out loud. It's not their fault. So don't get mad at them and don't get angry at them because that's what the enemy wants. He wants to keep you divided against them. He wants you to stay mad at them and angry at them because when you're doing that, your light's not shining. I bless you with the ability that no matter how dark this world gets, your light is going to get brighter and brighter and brighter. And when your mic shuts off and when your cord's dragging the floor, you're just going to put a big old smile on your face and be that much brighter because you know the enemy's trying to come in and work against you. But hey, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. So I bless you. Let your light shine online. Let that light shine in Jesus' name. God bless you guys. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.